White Sox like this year? Ah, uh, young and uh, learning. They're not doing very well right now. Did you live in Chicago all your life? So you've always been a White Sox fan? Yep. And what are your thoughts on the Cubs? Who? <laughs> Can you explain that to me? What happens in a in Chicago for baseball fans? How it's one or the other? It is for most part, right? For the most part, it's one or the other. I mean, there's a dividing line in the city. Lake Street's your dividing line, your north-south dividing line. But doesn't necessarily mean if you're a White Sox fan or Chicago fan, but that's generally the, your dividing line. But, uh, you know, they're diehard fans. Southsiders are diehard fans. Cubs fans are diehard fans, you know. Um, How did you become a White Sox fan as opposed to a Cubs fan? Just, you know, my father grew up on the south side of Chicago, southwest side of Chicago. My mother's a south sider, uh, very south suburbs, and just, you know, it's in the blood. Um so when the oh. Cubs finally won, did that mean anything to you? Uh, no, you know what, man? It, it, it was it was good to see them win so that they would shut up, you know, <laughs> finally, you know. That's about it. Right. Yeah. No, uh, I, I'll be honest. I, I cheered for them because it's Chicago. I got, you got to support your team and your city. And, uh, you know, not a, I don't follow them too much. But, you know, when they started doing good and they were in the playoffs and stuff, and I was like, you know. So all oh, this could happen. Man, these guys are looking pretty good. And yeah. So you know, when they went, I you know I was gonna I was gonna support them, and it was good to see them. We were actually on the cruise ship when they played. We were on the on the, on the blues cruise when they. That was kind of exciting watching the. So watching you can actually watch it on the cruise. Yeah, they had like this giant 180 foot screen on the back of the ship. Wow. And so like the whole back deck was packed with. Uh, uh, Cleveland and uh, Chicago fans, wa- you know, watching. There's a <laughs> yeah. lot more Chicago fans, you know. I'm sure. But it was pretty exciting, you know. It was good to see them win. I will say this. Here's the difference. When the White Sox went to the World Series in 2005, this this is what made me more of a diehard White Sox fan than a Cubs fan, okay. actually. Uh, it also made me, you know... You know, stop and and say, you know, you gotta support your city, you know, whether it's the Sox. But in 2005, when the White Sox went, there was like these news stories around that uh, a lot of Chicago Cubs fans were buying up White Sox fan, or were buying up World Series tickets and selling them to uh, Houston fans so that White Sox fans couldn't get World Series tickets. Are you serious? Yeah, it was like a big deal. And I was like, what a shitty thing to do, man. <laughs> yeah, really? And so that was like one of my... That, you know, when I, when I was a kid, we went to Cubs games. So I didn't like them, but we went to Cubs games because my friends, I had friends I grew up with that were Cubs fans. And when you're kids, you go right. where whoever's parents buy the tickets and stuff. You know, I went to Cubs fans. I, I went, I've been to Wrigley Field tons of times and stuff. You but know? but is, it, is it not like the Cubs as if you didn't like the Blue Jays or the Yankees? Or is it more than that? Oh no, it's definitely more than that. It's it's definitely more. Uh, there 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 is a distinct hatred <laughs> among the diehard diehard. I mean, like you know, I you know, I straddled the fence during the World Series just because, like I said, I'm from Chicago. It's good to see a Chicago team yeah, win. Yeah. But there were plenty of White Sox fans that were like, "Hell no, I don't care." 
<laughs> no, and then you know, just like there were plenty of Cubs fans, like when the White Sox, yeah, yeah. you know, went and uh, there's generally um, quite a few fights at the Crosstown Classic games, which had you know, are, you know, right. every year. Or so, you know, there's a series of three on the south side and a series of three on the north side every year, and they call those the Crosstown Classics and. Uh, there's generally uh, at least one or two fights get reported. There's probably more that don't get reported. Yeah, I'm sure. And, uh, you know. But are you actively a big White Sox fan? Like, do you follow them and do oh, you yeah, go yeah, see definitely. them? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, if, if if anyone has seen or followed me on Facebook or Instagram, they've seen pictures of, uh, uh, of me and my daughter. Yeah, Kate's not so much uh, a baseball fan or even too much of a sports fan. She's... She she doesn't watch sports. She likes to play sports, but she's not like a right. She's not a, a spectator kind of girl. But my daughter, she she loves it. She loves going to the open. I mean, like I, well, here's here right. You know, we were just talking about the no hitter. The, yeah, yeah. I took my daughter to her very first White Sox game when she was uh, was that five? How many years ago? I think she was five. That was uh, Mark Burley's perfect game. Wow. So her very first White Sox game was Mark Burley's perfect game, which she probably couldn't really appreciate. She got it, yeah, pretty. Yeah, I mean, she, I don't think she could appreciate the way we, you know, yeah. yeah. And, but but she got it. She, you know, to this day, it's one of her favorite memories and stuff, you know. And uh, well, but yeah, we game. go we go to we go to a bunch of games, you know, as as many as I can when I'm home, right. You know, and she loves going to the ballpark. She loves, you know, walking out. You know, it's that whole thing, like, you know, and Field of Dreams and every baseball movie you've ever seen. It's that uh, you, you when you go up the ramps and you're walking in and the excitement builds and you're with the crowd and you're walking in and, and you keep going up each level and, then you, you know, you finally get into the, you know, the concourse and all of a sudden you get to, you see your gate and you can see the field out, but... It still doesn't mean anything until you actually like stand at the edge of the row of seats going down, and all of a sudden you see the field out, and all the smells hit you, yeah. and the grass, and you see the guys. It's a, it's an it's an amazing. I get like goosebumps, you know, talking about it now, man. And I I do. <laughs> I love that. I love being there at the at the ballpark. Same thing with the with you know American football. It's like you know. Like you I, I grew football, up. Yeah, right? I grew up playing football. I was more of a football player than a baseball player. Actually, I became more of a baseball fan later in life. I mean, I've always been a White Sox fan, but I grew to appreciate the sport more. Like, when I got in my mid-20s and stuff, started following baseball a lot more and, and appreciating it more and uh, understanding the game's pace more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But, like, yeah, we're White Sox fans in our house. <laughs> so we're talking baseball with Nick Moss? Talking baseball. <laughs> Um, Should have my keyboard player here, Taylor. There is a bona fide baseball whiz kid. He's a he grew up in St. Louis, so he's a Cardinal fan. So he can't stand. Okay, the Cubs. so that's a big thing, right? That, oh no, that would be more that's, the Cubs, right? Yeah. yeah, he hates the Cubs, and that's that's like um, that's like even more than the the White Sox Cubs, or it's on par, I would say at least. <laughs> and you know, but he's lived in Chicago for the last eight years, so he's. He's 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 become a, a a pretty diehard White Sox fan too. Oh, well, that's good. You know, except for when they play the cards. But right. uh, you know, grew up. But that kid knows 
everything about baseball, and especially about Cardinals baseball history and stats. And in fact, he writes for uh, he writes for the uh, the Cards um, blog. Oh, I forget what the hell it's called, the Redbird Nation or wow. blog or something. So he's serious. Yeah, he's very serious. I mean, he watches every game on the road. He's got the you know the Major League Baseball package and watches every game and <laughs> you see him in the van and he's. I don't know what that is. I think Siri heard us talking about baseball. That's wow. hilarious. That's crazy. Um, and that's minor league. That's the minor league team here. That's awesome. That is awesome. So we are here Thank with you, Nick Siri. Moss and in <laughs> Memphis talking about baseball. Yeah. Um, what brings you to Memphis? Blues Music Awards, man. Like everybody here. And but you're not nominated. You're just here to hang? No, I'm nominated. Oh, okay. I'm, uh, we're nominated for Band of the Year. Oh, wait, wait, wait. And, okay. uh, I know this is hilarious, but I know I'm nominated for one more, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. What and, does it mean to you? Um, you know, I don't know. Every year, look, I, I've been nominated almost every year since I've been in the business. I've never won one yet. Um, I've kind of gotten like this thing where like, I don't really think about even winning anymore. I don't. I just, it's nice. It's great to be nominated. It's nice to be nominated. I appreciate the nomination and, um, it might not be fun when you actually win. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll be in so much shock, you know, I, and I'll just walk up and go, thanks and walk away. But who knows? <laughs> but you it know, speaks me- to the fact that, you know, you, you put out a certain caliber of material that gets yeah, nominated and recognized. Does, exactly. And, more or less for me, it's the camaraderie, get to, getting to see all my friends that, you know, I don't get to see that often. And uh, some of them, you know, I haven't seen in a couple of years just because, you know, they're touring or I'm touring or when I'm in their town, they're not home. Or when I'm in, you know, mm-hmm. when they're in my town, I'm not home. And so it seems like, you know, this time of year, he, most of the people that I know and respect and like and are here and we hang out man it's just it's just a good time getting to hang out with people you know i told you like earlier today i picked up jimmy bot at the airport and uh, which is great because jimmy and i at one time i think we both held the top spot for for nominations without win but of course he won a couple of years ago so that bastard. and i remember he gave me a shout out from the stage we were in europe and uh when the bmas happened that year and someone sent me a text question and said hey man look at youtube Jimmy Bot gave you a shout out from the stage, uh, which I thought was great, uh, and uh, you know, um, just uh, Curtis is here. Curtis Salgado. Curtis called me a little while ago, and uh, I think he woke me up right after you. <laughs> you called me, which was good because I, you know, I fell kind of right back to sleep after I. I was like, I yeah, I'm gonna get through a shower, and then. Uh, <laughs> Fell back asleep and then Curtis called me because he wanted to know what I was doing tonight. And then uh, earlier today, Mike Ledbetter, he came down with his whole family. And so they wanted to go to Gus's Fried Chicken, so let's go. And that's uh, usually another good reason to come to Memphis, get some good old Gus's Fried Chicken. Uh, But no, you know, going back to the the awards, um, it's it's an honor. And... uh, if 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 it should happen that 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 I win, 
you know, um, I'm gonna have to think of something to say because I don't, <laughs> I don't really prefer. But uh, you, you know, when I first started coming down those first couple of years, the anticipation, oh, what I could win, I could win. Then I didn't, and then I didn't, and then I didn't. And then I, I kind of started realizing, you know, like, you know what? There are a lot of people here. There's a lot of people here putting out great products. That's why they're nominated. Um, dedicated fans, you know, uh, especially what I don't know how many years ago was they opened it up where fans could vote too if you join the yeah, yeah. if you join it, uh, the Blues Foundation and stuff and. You know, what did they say? You can please some of the people some of the time. You can't please everybody all the time. And I pleased enough people to get nominated. And and you know that's a, that's a, that's a great thing. But uh, I don't know. Like I said, it's 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 really hard for me at this point in my mm-hmm. career. And after so many nominations, to even think about like you know if I win, what what do I do then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there could be some fuck yous coming. I don't know. It's about fucking time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or, you know, I don't, there wouldn't be any of that. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Who, who knows? But, I mean, it's almost like, you know, I remember coming here many, many years ago and seeing you for the first time yeah. playing at, I think it was called Elvis Presley's or something. That's Just, right. Yeah. yeah. I remember that was the first time I saw you. In yeah, the, it was right across the street from... Uh, where the party was happening, because <laughs> it's literally right where, where they stop the the horses to let people like go with their drinks, so nobody wants to cross the street because they all got their drinks in their hand. They're just and we're just standing there playing. We can see all everything going on over there on Beale well, Street. Well, I made it across. Yes, yeah, well, I so. appreciate that. <laughs> but it, it's you know, and then you think from that moment on, and the number of times I've been down here, like it seems like you're always down here and you're always nominated. So. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, uh, if you look at the categories that I've been nominated in and the people that have been nominated in those categories alongside me, I got nothing to feel bad about if I don't win because I'm next to some incredible, you know, musicians. And a lot of the times um, that I've won, or I mean that I've been nominated, has been I've been up in categories with, you know, with guys that have been around 20 years longer than me, you know, <laughs> I've been doing it much longer. So it's like, who am I to say, oh, I should have won that one. <laughs> you know, this well, guy's been doing this way longer than me. And, you know, it's got way more, yeah, uh, 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 I guess, uh, you know, street cred, if you will, you know, in the business. And uh, so, yeah, man, you know. But I remember, okay, so we were talking about this yesterday. The first time I interviewed you was yeah. in Wheeling, 2003 Wheeling, or 2004, somewhere around there. Yeah. And it was, I think, a month after your daughter was born. And I remember knowing, going into it knowing that you were a hardworking road warrior, constantly touring. And I know that at that moment, which was a month after your daughter was born, it was tough for you to be on the road. And I remember you talking about that just because she was new to the world and you were missing things. Yeah. 14 years later, you're still, like, working your ass off on the road. Yeah, man. And I still miss being home when I'm on the road. And uh, and it's, uh, I don't know, it was, it was Willie Nelson, man. I think it was, he, he had a great quote about it. It's like, when you're home, 
you can't wait to be on the road and when you're on the road you can't wait to be home right that's just one of those weird things like i i have been doing this so long and i have to be quite honest man i have so much love for what i do and the music that that i play and i'm very uh passionate about the product that i put out and the product that i put out every night on stage with the bands and stuff and you know and respect for this music and the and and the guys that came before me that uh i am not the same person when i'm home as i am when i'm on the road and it's two distinct in what way? Per, what would, way would it be personalities different? almost? You know, when I'm on when I'm home and I'm on the road, and that's it's kind of a, like a weird dichotomy. It's a weird thing to walk. You know, I it takes me a few days to assimilate back into uh, into home life, and and whereas it's weird, it's like as soon as I get in the van and I'm I and I take off and I'm ready to get on the road, like I'm ready. Uh, but when I come home, I, I, I got to get that out of my system and Which makes ass- sense. assimilate to being, you know, uh, a do- do- domesticated or, and being a father and being home and taking care of home life and stuff. And it's, you know, there's so many different factors. Not only am I thinking about, you know, the shows and the band and the music and the gigs and the promoter and the money and the hotels and the van and the insurance and gas and and everything that comes out with being on the road but there's also that whole aspect of being with five you know five guys you know there's a mentality a male mentality definitely in the van and it sometimes becomes a, 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 a if you will, an adolescent uh, uh, personality, because we're all twelve-year-old kids when we're in the van. You know, we're all excited in, in, that we get to do this for a living, and it's a lot of, you know, adolescent humor, and uh, and there's also a lot of adolescent, you know, drama too. You know, uh, in in the van, it's and I've learned that uh, I have to be somewhat of a uh, uh, especially in the last couple of years because my band has gotten so young and I've gotten so old. Right, like it gets kind of over the years. The, yeah. There's a role reversal. Like, yeah. I mean, when you first started, you were touring with Willie and... Yeah, and man, I had Willie and Bob Carter and, and those guys. And, and you were the and young now, kid. Yeah, and I was the young kid. You know, even though I was the boss, I didn't really have to teach anybody anything. And then over the years, it's it's... It's become, you know, I become, all of a sudden one day I was the old guy in the band and I realized, oh my God, I got to teach these guys uh, not only how to play this music, but how to behave and act and what it's like to be on the road and away from home, from your families and loved ones and friends and, you know, just, there's a whole lot of things. You become a teacher, you become a mentor, you become a friend, you become a a guidance counselor, you become a, a, a... a kindergarten teacher and, and is that breaking, something you know you just learn when just by hanging out with the legendary blues band or whatever like the people you went on the road with and did they give you that same advice that now you're finding yourself giving to your band members oh man i there's no lesson there's nothing that they says okay you know one day you're gonna be this guy and you get your book and you're gonna want to do this and there's no there's no set way to do it i mean you just 
assimilate and you if if you're lucky and if you're smart you've paid attention and you apply what you know right. to be true and you apply um all that knowledge that, uh, of being on the road and what you went through and try to become your own boss and it's not been easy i mean i i would venture to say that i was i'm i wasn't the the greatest boss to begin with, uh, but you... to the first cup, you know, especially after Willie piano, Willie, you know, Willie O'Shaughnessy for those who listen, great piano player, and Bob Carter, great drummer. After those guys left the band, it, it was like they left almost at the same time, and at the very same time, I auto automatically became the old guy in the band. I was older by ten years to the next guy in my band and all of a sudden like overnight i i became the old man in the, in the band and i had to figure out oh my god how do i do this how do i because i never had to tell these other guys how to do stuff right. and how to behave and how to act and how to play this stuff and and that was a growing experience that was a learning experience uh learning how to be a boss learning how to really be a boss learning how to really um set you know a, a, a young person on the chorus man you know I, I to me in my mind I was still the young guy and and you know and but it's not like if I wanted to join your band you'd say well yeah you can but these are the rules you can't do this this and this and you can do that whatever it just doesn't come out that way no I mean there's there's certain things there's certain standards that yeah, I, that I have in my band you know obviously and those are right off the bat but you know as far as like uh you know what you can and cannot do but really what it is 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 uh first of all first and foremost is uh do you and i have the same temperament for this music do you and i have the same passion uh for this music i have a saying that everybody gets there's a little thing that i say and everybody hears this when they join my band i know exactly how much time and how much effort and how much dedication I've put into this music over the years. I know exactly how much. And I'm still putting it in. So I, I still know exactly how much it is. And I always tell everyone, I said, if you can give me half of what I've put in, then we'll, we'll be okay. We'll be fine. If you can give me half of that dedication. Mm-hmm. Because I'm I'm insane with it. I'm I'm a little crazy with it. I love this stuff so much. It's it's a part of me where I feel uncomfortable around anything else. I uh, I don't know if if you've uh, you know not to put anyone off, but like the jazz guys used to say, like you know when they would be with people that weren't in in the music business, they that they were stepping into the square world. Mm-hmm. and so like that's kind of like this thing it's like when I'm in the square world around people that don't know what the music world is and, and that lifestyle and stuff I'm very uncomfortable I, I uh, first of all man I I have anxiety and panic disorder problems since I was a little kid and anxiety is with me daily I when wake it, up anxious I go to bed anxious so it's just there like it oh, doesn't yeah. manifest itself in certain circumstances more than others 
Uh, it, it, there are certain uh, that that exacerbate it, but I I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't want to. I'm not a doctor, and I don't know. I would never like diagnose anyone else. All I know is that for me, uh, I'll. It's been a, it's my understanding that I'll never get rid of this. I can only manage it, and that's what I've learned to do over the years. I learned how to manage my anxiety and stuff, and so, and there you know there's tools that I use, and 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 which are great because it's helped me, and it took me years to put this together too. It's it's also helped me become a better boss and help me deal with people's personalities. In in, in a band situation, you have to right. You can't do in the old days. It, you know, it seemed like with the older guys, and you know, I'm not trying to bash on the younger generation. Sound like my dad. Well, back in my day, we were, all, you know. <laughs> but that's what happens, though. But it is, you know, when I was, you know, with the older guys, yeah. everyone was treated the same, basically. At least it seemed that way to me. And it was like, you know, if you don't like it, leave. There's the door, you know, and no, and you know, there was. But it seems like now with the younger generation and the way things are, you know, and the way people are, uh, it's you can't do that. You just can't. I found that you can, I can't be in a band and, and, and expect everyone to behave exactly the same way. Right. Because just personalities are so vastly different. and But and, even more so than the personalities you dealt with when you first went on the road with the old guys? Because uh, okay. those are real characters. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, here's, here's, you know, here. Okay, you forced my hand. So here's where it goes back to talking like my old man. So it seemed like that there was thicker skin back then, and right. and, and, yeah. and 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 uh, what is it? You know, the company line, toe the company line kind of mentality. Where nowadays there's not there's not so much of that toe the company line. Well, you know, it was, it's just like you hurt my feelings. How, you know. Now, now, how are you going to deal with that? How do I, how do I deal with hurting someone's feelings? It's like you know, um, you know when I when I when I, when I was a young man and I first got in the van and I was in a van with guys. There were 20, 30, 40, 50 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you're thinking what? I'm thinking this is great. I love this. You know, I didn't. I you know, I but I. I never really, I don't know, I never really thought, what am I doing here? I never really thought, well, these guys are old. I never thought any of that. I just thought, oh, this is great. I get to do this. These guys are hilarious. But I was in that van, man, and when we would leave the van, uh, here's an example. We drive in the van, and, you know, at that time, there was pretty much just a cassette player in the van. It was even, like, pre-CD days. Right. And so the only thing that was played in the van was either the radio or cassettes. And whoever was driving controlled the radio or the passenger did. And we all listened to whatever was on that radio. And you either liked it or you didn't, but you couldn't do nothing about it. It was on. And most of the time it was blues anyways. And we all listened to what we like to listen to. Mm-hmm. And if the radio wasn't on, somebody was telling a story. And inevitably, we were all cracking up and laughing our asses off. And some of the stories were, you know, lewd, and 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 some of the stories were clean, but there were, there was always a story. Somebody had something to say, or everyone was sleeping, except for the driver. Right. 
and uh, and that's how it was. And nowadays, I get in the van, and every one of my guys has their own headphones on, and nobody talks. They all text, and I come to find out, one time, they're texting each other <laughs> in the van. I that that blew my mind one day when I realized one guy was texting the other guy and they were sitting right next to each other. I'm like, are you texting him? <laughs> yeah, you're right next to him. Yo, we got I got my headphones on, I'm listening to music. I blew my mind. You know, so it's like this whole there's a there's a there's definitely a social disconnect I think uh, between the generations, and uh, you know, and, is that and, difficult for you? Not anymore. It was it was a, a little bit, but just because I said like overnight I became the young guy. Yeah. And even up until that point, like the uh, old guy, I became the old guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, up until that point, you know, when I had Willie and Bob, it was still the same thing. We all listened to what was whatever was played, and there was a lot of stories and cracking up and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> now I'm the only one really telling stories, and they've heard all my stories, so the headphones <laughs> go on. You know. <laughs> But I said, but this is the thing, and and that's why I say it's taken me a while to learn how to be a better boss and learn how to get these guys to appreciate some of the stuff that I appreciated as a younger. And I've slowly gotten my guys to be a little bit more social within the van and spread out, you know, a little bit of... You know, I said, you know, you guys are missing things mm-hmm. when you guys close yourself off. I go, all these stories that you hear me tell, that you laugh at and you appreciate, and then when I tell the stories, I go, I said, you're not gonna, you're not gonna appreciate those stories if you got your headphones on. You're not gonna even, you're gonna miss them all. Right. Uh, what's gonna happen is, y- you got your head down in your cell phone. You're missing everything. I, you know, we we do a lot of driving. And, and there's a lot of overnight drives and like you said we work our asses off we're on the road constantly and I'm still in awe and when four or five or you know four thirty between four thirty and five in the morning different parts of the country when we're driving and the sun's just coming up and we're in, in the mountains somewhere or we're in the desert somewhere and we're just in some pristine place and I see like the sun coming up and I see this stuff that nobody else is seeing for the first time. It's like a you know this new beginning when the sun comes up and and I feel like I'm the first guy seeing this. And there's no cars out on the road. We're the only vehicle on the road at that point. And I'm like, you guys got to take this stuff in. This is like this. You got to realize that your friends are waking up now and getting in a shower so they can get in a car and go sit and traffic wall-to-wall traffic and then go to an office with fluorescent lights you know and you get to you get to do this you get to be out here right now and see this i mean my windshield i always look at it as a drive-in movie theater i love being on the road i love seeing that stuff early in the morning i mean you know do i like traveling overnight you know driving no i'd rather be home for the most part but there's so much to this life that I appreciate and that I love. And I appreciated the camaraderie with, with the guys that I played with. I appreciate seeing the things that I get to see on the road and meeting the people that I get to meet on the road. 
the the experience on stage that which is a um uh, it's 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 something there's there's this thing that happens on stage for me at least and i know a lot of guys that i talk to that it's it's like this drug that we're chasing you know our whole life and there's this, these moments on stage that happen and i try to t- teach the young guys to <clears throat> grab on to those things because when you ask you know what's it like to be on the road and and, and miss your family those are the things that make up for when i get back to the hotel room and i lay in bed for three hours going oh god i just want to be home with my with my arms around my wife or hugging my kid or asking her what she did with her life and that's the that's the shit that keeps me awake for three hours at night after the gig and then i gotta stop and go you know what man i have a wonderful wife and she and i she is at home and she is giving my daughter enough love for both of us and explaining to my daughter that dad's out doing something important uh, and I'm not just out messing around and I should be able to enjoy what I'm doing and it's right. it's, a, it's a hard thing to do but then I but then I, I realized no man I gotta be grateful and thankful for these moments that I that I get to have with you know connecting with people that i don't know connecting with the people that i do and experiencing these things that make me me because i'm a difficult person (laughs) i am man i you know everyone is a complex individual (laughs) and i the older i get the more and more i realize how true that is everyone is has complexities and i and and i'm starting to uh uh really understand my own complexities and difficulties and being able to balance those with being okay with myself and everything around me right. and stuff. And that was a hard thing to do for a long time, man. So, you know, at the very basic level, what's the thinking behind the number of days you do on the road? Like you're thinking, like I need to be out there 150 days a week, a year, or whatever. Or like, what what goes behind, what thought goes behind the amount of touring that you do or don't do in any particular year? Um, really, it's just you know, there there is no thought. There used to be probably back in the day, but there is no thought because just just the mere fact that there's so many places that are closing and there's not as many places there used to be now it's just you know give me the work i'll take it when it comes you know but i don't you know i in the almost 20 years that i've been kind of following the blues i've noticed that there aren't as many bands out there on the road as much as you guys there are still others but the, the sheer number of the blues bands out there touring on a weekly basis seems to be Far less. I also come to live in a dedication, place. Dedication, baby. Yeah, no, it's dedication. But I, but I, I don't see, like, twenty years. Look, it's the... it's not it's not easy to stay on the road. It's not easy to get the gigs on the road. Um, but I don't know, man. I've I've been fortunate enough to be able to maintain a fairly uh, rigorous touring schedule. Um. 
I don't like to be out for more than three weeks at a time if I if 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 I can't if I don't have to be. So is it so you know, if, for people who don't know? Because I don't think it's hard. It, it's easy for anybody to kind of really understand. You know, the storing thing, right? So you're basically out two weeks, usually maximum if you can help it. Yeah, um, and then two to how three much, weeks. And yeah. then how much home? Uh, and then another, yeah, at least two weeks at home. Uh, at the very least two weeks at home and then another two to three weeks. And sometimes it's sometimes you're home for two weeks and then you go out for three days and then you're home for a week and then you go out for a week and then you're home for maybe two weeks and you go out for two days and then you're home for two weeks and you go out for a month you know it's just it's so unpredictable you just take as many gigs as you can nowadays i mean if it was if it was more steady and more predictable i would say three weeks on two weeks off and just continue that cycle right and then you're saying that view that you have from a windshield when when you're driving all night yeah i mean that basically says to me you play your gig you pack up and then you're driving to the next city as opposed to going back to the hotel back to the hotel yeah a lot of times that happens and a lot of and a lot of that is because of the fact there are so many places closing and and not enough venues like there used to be i here's an example when i first started playing years ago when i was in willie smith's band with the legendary blues band we did a two-week tour in texas and just one state, the state of Texas, we did 16 gigs in 14 days in the state of Texas. In just one state. And nowadays... And this is one tour, so you're driving was, down yeah. to Texas. Yeah, I drove down to Texas, and we did we did 16 shows in 14 days, a couple double double headers. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And nowadays, you're I'm lucky if I can find two to three gigs in Texas. Right. You know, and 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 if and I'm lucky if I find two in a row, and then I don't know, and that's a big state. And then you got to drive <laughs> you to the next state somewhere through that big big state, which is a third the size of our country. You know, right. to get to whatever other state to get to the next gig, and so sometimes the overnight drive is necessary. And is there a kind of rule of thumb that says you really? I don't know if you dictate this to your agent or who has the final say, but that you don't want to be on the road for more than next number of hours? You know, I mean, they, they know generally, uh, ultimately, the, the goal is to stay within an eight-hour, six to eight-hour drive or less. Right. Um, but most clubs have a radius clause, and most radius clauses, you know, vary anywhere from 100 miles to 300 miles. And so... That's hard, uh, you know, uh, maintaining the radius clause. Certain certain areas of the country, like in New England, it's hard to have a radius clause because that's one of the few areas of our country that's still left that is has a pretty fair amount of places to right. play. It's uh, pretty Big con- concentrated. Yeah. And so the, the radius clause doesn't really apply too much in New England. But uh, it's just... You, you got to take the gigs, and sometimes, look, there's only so many venues, and like you said, there's there's so many bands vying for that spot or that night, and you know, ultimately, in a perfect world, you try to line up a tour that makes sense geographically, uh, but sometimes you got to get in the van and drive 15, 16 hours to your next gig. And that's just the way. And then turn around and go back 
the next day. We just did that. We were in New England, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, so the, the CD came out, our CD, the Alligator CD came out, um, High Cost of Low Living, um, <laughs> shameless, shameless plug. Uh, that came out on March 9th, and we started the tour on March 9th in Cleveland, and we played the first five days and worked our way to the East Coast, um, the, uh, for, uh, no, for, yeah, for six days, worked our way to the East Coast, then got on a plane and flew to Switzerland and played for four nights in Switzerland. I got on a plane, flew right back to New Jersey, got right back in the van and played another week in New England, then got in the van and drove to Florida and played four gigs down in Florida, turned right around, drove right back up to New England and did another week and a half in New England. And that was the uh, the uh, the first of our uh, six week tour for the for the CD. So when you go back and forth like that, yeah, like you know, from from somebody who doesn't do this, you think, oh, well, why would you play there and then backtrack three hundred miles and then go back two hundred miles or whatever? Do you does that bother you? Or you don't even think about it that way. Oh yeah, of course it bothers. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. It makes yeah. I was like yeah. Why wouldn't we just stay? But it's it's again like I said. There's only so many clubs booking so many nights a week to a billion bands trying to get that night. Right. You know, and and so sometimes that's how it works out, or sometimes the money dictates where you go. Like oh, this offer came in, and this is too good to pass up, uh, and you know. Bite the bullet, suck it up, fellas. We're getting in the van or we're getting on a plane, but you know, you want to make some extra money. This is how it goes. So, when you go to Europe in this mid- middle middle of the tour, you just fly to Europe and all of a sudden things change. I don't know if you're still driving all over Europe or somebody's driving for you. Like you've left your van, van yeah. right? So, yeah. all of a sudden you're in a different set of countries and right. things are different. Is it is it a different thing or it's not that different to you? It, it it used to be more of a different thing. Now it seems pretty calm, or now it seems almost the same to me. But no, usually it's already set up. There's a driver and someone. There's backline already set up for you, and a promoter has been worked out, and they send a, a a tour manager, and he's got a van, and he's got all the backline in it, and we're pretty much just carrying our drumsticks and and guitars. Do you prefer that, or you don't think of it that way? Um, you know, I don't mind it. Uh, it used to bother me because everyone likes playing on their own gear, but right. and and it, and, but like over the years, I've learned how to play through pretty much anything. I don't really care too much what I play through. I mean, I prefer to play through a certain style of amplifier, but now I don't care. And and then going over to Europe and stuff, I like having, you know, a tour manager where I don't have to worry about it. And, I, and, and, you know, there's been times when I've driven in Europe and stuff and, and had to do it myself for a couple of days. And, but it just makes it easier. You mm-hmm. know, I don't mind paying whatever percentage it is for, for the tour manager. If the money's good enough anyways, it just makes more sense. And that's pretty much standard what everyone does anyways over there. Okay. Going back to what we were talking about with new band members. Yeah. So I had interviewed Mike Ledbetter a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. He was talking about being in your band and what that meant to him and then how difficult it was for him to leave. Over the years, I, I presume you've changed a number of band members and yeah. and now you have this brand new band. 
How difficult is that to for you? And this, it's got your name on the band name, right? To find new musicians and to know that they fit, and to select the new bass player, the new drummer. Well, that's going back to what I said. Is like you, uh, there's a certain um, temperament and uh, that you just have to feel a person out. Like I've been playing this music long enough. Or I can, I can tell right away if a person's going to be a good fit or not. doesn't necessarily mean if they're a bad musician or not a bad or a good musician. just means, can you play this music the way I need you to play this music? But can you get along? And Well, that, that'll work itself out, too. And, you know, and, well, <clears throat> I have an affliction, man. And uh, this is something, you know, I don't know if Mike told you this, but... This may sound like BS, but I, this is something that has served me well in most of my life and also been kind of a, uh, a curse to me. Uh, I can read a person. Immediately? Almost immediately. Wow. I know if a person's full of shit or if they're not. And... And it served me well in a lot of situations, and it's also a curse because there's a lot of times like I really want to like this person, and I know that I, it's not going to work out. And you know immediately. Yeah, I know immediately, and ninety nine point nine percent of the time I'm I'm correct. Wow, where do you think you get that from? <clears throat> I get that from my dad. <laughs> my dad, uh, you know, and unfortunately, this you know, this is another thing like I've, I'm trying to work through in my later years is. Uh, and this, this could probably, you know, not could, it, it absolutely has to do with my anxiety problems since I was a kid, man, is uh, my dad's very old school, blue collar, and uh, grew up, growing up, in a, and my dad grew up in Chicago, grew up in the city, he was, you know, a rough neighborhood and stuff, and he had that mentality that uh, you don't get anything for free. You gotta bust your ass, and you gotta watch your back, and have eyes in the back of your head, and don't trust anybody, because somebody's trying to take something from you. And I heard that so much, and and most of the lessons that were taught to me in my life were about that. That's like, I just I've always had like this distrust right away for a person. You have to show me that I can trust you. And I've learned how to like smell it on people and see it in their eyes, and and again, that's like, you know, I'll freely admit it's a fucked up way to go through life. It is, and but in this business, um, it's something that um, that that kind of mentality has served me well, but also has kind of you know kind of bums you out too like i said there's times when i like i want to like this person but i know but if it's if it's if you've been correct most of the time i yeah. just think that that's a really good thing to have it is but it's like <laughs> it's like a person seeing the future yeah. you know do you really kind of, want it do you really want to know the future <laughs> reminds you of the dead zone for some reason yeah exactly yeah. Do you really want to know the future <laughs> and it's like uh so yeah i'm <laughs> going back to originally I'm fairly good at knowing whether a person's going to be right in my band and I'm going to get along with them. That's that's a secondary thing. My 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 thing is 
do you have an ear for this music? Do you have a special talent that that I can mold so that you can fit into this music? First of all, timing and feel is a, is a huge factor for me. Like, do you do you have good feel? Do you have good time? If you have good feel and good time, you don't necessarily have to be a scholar of this music. I can point you in that direction. I can show you how how where this music came from and and how to do it right. And do you have devotion and dedication? And will you have the ability to fall in love with this music the way I did? And those are factors that come into play. And again, those are things like I just have like this innate ability to pick up on, aside from you know a person's timing and feel for playing music. Um, at what point in your life did you know that you you knew what you wanted in this music? Like, I know you learn from the best, and yeah. I know you've always studied and you continue to study the blues, but at what point did you just definitely have this idea of, this is what this is, this is what I'm looking for, I know what I want in my blues? I don't know if I consciously ever made a decision to say, this is exactly what I want. This is, I just know what feels right to me. And I, and I knew at the moment that, I felt it when I was playing with those old guys. Like, oh man, this is it. You know, when I when I when I was saying earlier about chasing this drug, I think I might have might have even told you this in the interview back in, in you know fourteen years ago, mm-hmm. when I was a little kid. Growing up, my parents loved music, and that's how I got into music. There was always music in the house, not necessarily blues, but in particular, my mom was you know the one raising us because my dad was most at work and she would always play music around the house when she was you know doing you know her motherly and you know wifely duties or whatever when she wasn't cutting hair my mom was a beautician too and uh we always listened to great music and i loved it but my mom's favorite record when i was a little kid that i ever recall was this which this is the this was the turning point for me. My mom bought BB uh, King's Indianola Mississippi Seeds when that record came out. When it was in the seventies, at one point, when that record came out, and I remember it because it had that cover with the watermelon sliced mm-hmm. in half and a guitar neck and knobs on it and stuff. And I was like, I thought that was the coolest cover ever. Like, well, it's a watermelon. No, it's a guitar. What is this? And you know, BB King. What is that? You know. Uh, and I remember my mom playing that record, and I was tearing through the house one day, running around with some friends. My mom was in the kitchen. She had that record playing on the stereo in the front room while she was cooking or something. And I was running through the front room, and I can't recall exactly what song it was, but I just heard B.B. King's voice, followed by this one note on the guitar. just Just one singing note you know, with this falsetto voice that preceded it, and it stopped me dead in my tracks. And it's not because I heard it, I felt it. Like, there was, like, this electrical buzz that went in my body and out my body at almost literally the same time, like, getting hit by lightning. And and I just, I, like, stopped, and I was like, what was that? And I just remember, like, looking, turning around, and... I just happened to be sitting in the door with the kitchen. I was like, Mom, what is that? My mom was like, what's what? I'm like, what's that music? 
She said, oh, that's B.B. King. And I, she said, like, I just sat down in front of the, we had these tower speakers. She said, I just sat down in front of the tower speaker and listened to the rest of the record while my friends ran around me, you know, acting like idiots. And I was just like, huh? <laughs> and literally since that time, and again, it not doesn't necessarily have to be blues music, but it seems more, more so uh, that stemming from from blues music or roots music or just music that's very organic and from the soul is what makes me feel that and literally from that moment it it's like I'm chasing like this high like I you know I've never shot heroin but I've heard like drug addicts talk about you know chasing that first high that's why they do it and that's what I've been doing my whole life. I mean, and I'm still doing that. It's like I, I'm chasing that electrical buzz that happens. And there are, there are nights when I can get it to happen for short periods of time, different moments on stage. And there are nights when it's like a prolonged thing. And it's like this amazing thing. And, and I feel it. And my drummer feels it. My bass player feels it. And everyone feels it. And there are nights when only one guy or you know in the band feels it, but it's it's just this thing like I gotta I gotta I gotta chase it I gotta find it every night and so <clears throat> having that kind of dedication and that and that kind of like like lustful feeling for it uh, <clears throat> I gotta make sure that the guys in my band understand what that is mm-hmm. and. There have been guys in my band that I can honestly say I thought were going to have that because they were nice guys. I could get along with them. They had good time and they had good feel. But that it just that 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 other element just eluded them. And all, all of a sudden, I started slowly seeing. Well, that's that's not going to work. Well, how long does it take <clears throat> to know that though? Usually within months, I can figure it out. Right. And some guys, if they don't know that they're looking for it. And some guys, you have to... <laughs> Again, this is going to sound messed up. Some guys, you have to introduce them to the drug and, 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 and introduce them to what that feeling is. They don't even know... They Maybe they've experienced it and not even known what it is. And you have to, like open them up to it this is this is a thing another thing you know you know if we're going to get deep into this is uh there is a again i'm not condoning drug use or whatever (laughs) i'm sorry but there is a certain vulnerability i think that you must have to be able to stick a needle in your arm Mm -hmm. there's something behind all that that makes you do that okay um or 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 it's just pure stupidity one or the other i don't know but i have to believe that there is something more behind someone wanting to do that as far as for me as far as music goes and in my own personal experience and from what i've understood from the people that i love and the people that i've respected over the years when i hear them talk and I hear similar instances in, in, in the way they speak about why they love music. I, I understand that it's this almost the same thing that what I'm trying to explain to you. Is there is a vulnerability playing music. I'm 
when you play music and when and you play it to the dedication and compassion and love for it the way that I do and the way that the people that I love do it, you might as well be naked standing on stage mm-hmm. and just strip down to the very bare emotion that you're conveying. And if you're not doing that, then I don't want to... You're boring me. You're, you are... I don't, I don't get it. It's, 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 uh, you know, I'm, I might as well, might as well be watching Teletubbies or something. I don't, you know, I, I can't, I can't get into that. I cannot feel that from a person. I want to know when I, when I hear a person sing something that sounds so, you know, sad that that's exactly what's going on in them. I remember Jimmy Rogers told me one night, <clears throat> you've never really played the blues until you've cried while playing the blues. And when I was a young man, you know, even though I, I had that ability to, to chase that buzz in my body and that joy and that like electrical feeling, I didn't understand that. I didn't know what that, what that meant. And, and until I actually let go a few more things and, and stepped out from behind some curtains that I had around me or walls that I had built around me and really said, oh, if I, if I really want to find that, that feeling on stage, there's some things I got to drop. And, you know, and, and there, there have been times like, you know, where... I'm playing, and for whatever reason, man, I got tears coming down my face. You know, uh, it's not you know not to sound like you know like toot my own horn. It's not because I'm playing something so beautiful, but whatever it is, the emotion and the feeling, and just whatever's happening on stage at that moment, whether it's happy or sad or whatever, or there's just something happening on stage that just hits me and right away, and it's just like, oh man. You know, I, we're, I can't, you know, I think you, if you if you can hold that in and, and not release that or not even feel that, I that's not that's not something I want to be part of. I want I want to, you know, but when you felt that, was it like, oh, this is what he meant? Yeah, exactly. It's, exactly. That was, you know, that's the thing. And, <clears throat> you know. Blues music is uh, is so. I don't know much about classical music and country music and pop music, and and and, and I appreciate all those styles of music, and I'm sure that there is deep emotion in all those forms of music. But I know for a fact that in blues music and soul music, you know, uh, to me that is the the open book of of emotion and if there's someone playing this music that doesn't understand that or isn't willing to let themselves be seen like that then you know play nursery rhymes I don't know man it's mm-hmm. it's it doesn't do anything for me that's fascinating um I know we have to go but let me finish with one question yeah go the ahead. fact that you signed with Alligator now. It's yeah, pretty man, it's, cool. Tell me how that came about and what well, means to you. Yeah, man, it's 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 been great. It's one of the. 
I, I had my own record label for so long. You know, years ago, I, I was a side man all those years with the, with the older guys, you know, like we've been talking about. And when I decided to put out my first record, I was still a side man. I couldn't get anyone. I, I tried with Alligator and, you know... Bruce. You got your letter from Bruce? Yeah, yeah, I got my letter from Bruce, uh, Blind Pig, all those guys back then. But, you know, essentially I was just a side man, at, you know, that just put out a record. Nobody knew me, and I I got that. You know, you you know, go out and do something, show us who you are, and then come back. Well, almost immediately my first record got a lot of critical acclaim and praise, and for some naive stupid ass reason I said well shit I can do this myself I don't need these guys and uh, I got my my wife Kate who's incredible and you you know Kate and mm-hmm. she's was always in my corner you know flying my flag for me and uh, she she believed in me so much she said, okay well then let's just do it ourselves and we did it and surprisingly we did it very well and you know like we talked about earlier <laughs> I've got over 20 22 nominations now in 20 years or whatever of doing this and uh, uh, we did very well and so I never really tried to pursue these labels and I think what happened was they saw that I was doing okay so they never really tried to came, come after me either right. so he's doing okay on his own and over the years, we kind of had a mutual admiration. Uh, Bruce and I, and alligators, were, oh, you know, Bruce would always send me a letter. Oh, congratulations! I see you got nominated. I see your record's doing very well. Congrat, which I thought was very cool of some guy on the head of a record label, mm-hmm. you know, just send me. Um, a few years ago, when I put out "Time Ain't Free," um. That was the closest I ever got to actually signing with Alligator because Bruce had come out and seen one of my shows and said, hey, you know, I really like this. Would you be interested in coming to Alligator? And at the time, I was like, you know, maybe. And we had a couple meetings, and it looked very good. And then at the last minute, Bruce changed his mind and said, nah, I don't know. I don't think we can do this. Okay. You know, and but I, I, you know, I got my label, so it wasn't a big deal. Right. But did that disappoint you? What? Was it disappointing or not? Not necessarily disappointing because I knew I had my own label. Uh, it was just... Uh, there there was a, there was an anticipation that it, that it could have been cool because right. I've always respected Alligator. I wanted to be on Alligator back in the day. I grew up listening to Alligator Records, man. And being from Chicago, it's kind of like a badge of honor. And, For sure, yeah. You know, but when it well, didn't... Not even being from Chicago. Yeah, and well, and when it didn't happen, you know, yeah, I guess there was a little disappointment, but not so much where I was like, you know, oh, geez, what am I going to do? No, I already had my, my label, and we were already well-established. And that record went on to do, like, huge. We, we got, like, I think that year, Guitar Player gave me like one of the top 50 rock albums of the year wow. and guitar player which is a pretty big honor yeah and relics magazine which was more jam band then and we were doing a little bit more you know stuff that would, that would cross over in that jam band where we were on the relics charts for months like uh, i think we were number two and three for about four or five months and we were actually supposed to be number one during one month but they made a mistake <laughs> 
And they even sent us a letter saying, I'm sorry, you guys were supposed to be number one, but something happened, and yeah. but sorry. Anyways, and so he sent another congratulatory letter, man, you know, and he didn't have to do that. He passed on the record. He didn't have to send me these records, you know, these yeah. letters. And I, I always respect that about Bruce. And even like, you know, like you said, you get your, your, uh, uh, your denial letter or whatever. He's, you know, he, he has a lot to say in those records. He, he, and that, he never says, oh, this isn't for me. He says, this isn't for me because of this, 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 yeah, this, yeah. And this. Like he this takes and the time. And, yeah. and there, I've had talks with people over the years about that. And there are certain instances where you're like, well, fuck that, man. That's bull-, you know, and you can, you can have, you can have these emotions too. And I'm, I'm sure like when I got my first uh, yeah. rejection letter from him back in the day, I was probably the same way. Like, well, screw him, you know, tell me what to do on this, you know. <laughs> But, but oh, the fact that he listens to everyone yeah, he, and writes it, like, right? And but you don't think about that at the time. But like as I like I said, as I got older, I've I've learned how to understand things better. And so over the years, we've become more, like I said, mutual ad- admirers of each other. And I and I've also learned more about him over the years. And so, flash forward to now, uh, my wife Kate had, uh, two years ago took a job. Where she worked for herself, while uh, you know she was a freelance graphic mm-hmm. designer, you know since I've known her, and two years ago she went and took a job with a friend of hers, uh, a PR firm, H uh, Five uh, Consulting, which is a great PR firm in Chicago, and they they they're worldwide international and whatever. But my wife helped this lady start this business almost twenty years ago with her graphic design help, uh-huh. and it was offered the job twenty years ago. And she didn't take it. She's like, no, nah, I'm doing my own thing. Well, a couple of years ago, the lady said, hey, you know, our graphic design chair opened up again. Would you like that job now? And Kate was like, you know what? My daughter's almost grown and Nick's doing very well. And yeah, you know what? I wouldn't mind, you know, going back to work. And, and you know, the money that obviously was, uh, uh, was a good offer. Right. And, you know, Kate could get out of the house. I think she was stuck in the house for many years and she decided it'd be great to get out and see the world again so she took that job and so a lot of the stuff that she could do for me in the record label was suddenly not there anymore because she's working 12 hours a day she loves her job right and i would never ask her to not do something she loves. so it was the timing was right i said you know what if if i could get on another label and take this pressure off both of us maybe i should do it and when Dennis got in my band, when Dennis joined the band, um, you know, we essentially went back to being a, a straight blues band, uh, and which was something you know we, uh, that I'd like to talk about is that I really missed. And I know you, know, you said you had Michael in the band. I'm sure that was one thing that he covered was the, the fact that, you know, the the blues stuff that I taught Michael you know, is what made him basically leave my band because he wanted to go more into blues because right. he had become such a fan and and gotten so much more appreciation for what I showed him and he wanted to do more of that. And so and it was one of these things like I had Michael in the band who could do anything, right. not just blues, but could sing anything and I wanted to u- utilize that. Like, well, we can do anything. I mean, we can still do blues, but we can do anything. And there's so much 
material to mine there. Right. And he got focused and, well, you know what, man? I just really want to do blues. You got to do it for 20 years. And now you got me loving this music and I want to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, you got to do it. Go ahead. Right. And, which is a beautiful thing, man. And that he but that, got that, that so much. I, oh, yeah, it was definitely difficult. You know, he's my little brother. I love the guy, man. I'm so happy for all his success. And, and I really got a chance to see these guys for the first time in Mulan this past week. And they sounded great. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a great show. I'm very happy for him. Um, but ironically, him leaving made me go back to blues. <laughs> And in fact, he's always he jokes with me about. It. He goes, "Oh, now you're gonna do a blues rocker," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, you know, we were always doing blues, just a little different style." But anyways, going back to that, I had Dennis in the band, and I I'm said, sorry, was that easy to get Dennis? Like, no, it was. It was. Look, man, I'm a firm believer in things happen for a reason, and they happen for a reason at the time that they happen. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not a religious person, but I'm very spiritual. And, and I believe what goes around comes around. I believe uh, uh, in, in, in like all that kind of stuff that it just let it happen. Right. Let it be and it will happen. Michael decided to tell me in October of two years ago, hey, hey boss, I'm recording this record with Monster Mike. And at first we thought it was just going to be for fun. But, you know, after the record was done, we decided, man, this is something we should tour on. And I think I'm going to leave the band after the first of the year. And we had our, you know, oh, man, but we could do it. Uh, I've already made up my mind. And I said, okay, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And I said, you know, well, don't say nothing until January. Let let me get this news out there before, you know, because we got gigs booked next year already. And he said, yeah, no problem. And, you know, I'm planning on still doing the Blues Cruise with you in January. I said, that would be perfect because then we'll announce on the Blues Cruise that this is your last go-round with us. And we could utilize that and, and, uh, and you know, whatever. Well, like almost a week after that, that he told me that news, I got a call from Dennis. And he said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in Michigan doing this uh, William Clark tribute. Uh, show for a good friend of ours, this guy Hank Mowry was putting on this thing, and uh, so would you would you guys back me up? I need a band, man. Can you guys back me up? I was like, yeah, man, we'll back you up. And we did the show, and we you know I, I learned all this William. Well, I I knew all that stuff anyways. I just had to teach my band this stuff. Right. But we hadn't really been playing too much traditional blues for a while, so I had to get my band tightened up on that stuff. And they, you know. From the years of playing with me, you know, they understood my feel and time for that kind of stuff. Anyway, so it didn't take much. We did that show, and the whole time we're playing, I'm looking over at Dennis when we're playing. I'm like, I spent, like, the better part of my career backing up a harp player, except for the last six years. I get, This is, like, my natural comfort zone is backing up a harp player and playing this style of music. And this is really where my natural comfort zone is. I love playing the other the other stuff, but this is where like I feel at home. And I was like, man, why just go back and do this stuff again? So like after the show was over, I said, Dennis, I said, man, you just left Doug Deming's band like a few months ago. Is it because you don't want to be on the road? I mean, I'm not trying to pry, pry, pry into your and Doug's shit or anything, but is it... Right. 
He said, no, man, it just ran its course, that's all. Just, you know, Doug and I just, was it, you know. We did seven years, just ran its course. I'm like, so do you want to be on the road again? He's like, well, why are you asking? I'm like, well, between you and me, Mike's leaving the band after the first year, and would you want to come out and play with us? And he's like, yeah, man, definitely. That, And so it was just that right place, right time moment, and immediately, like, I put him on gigs, like, the next week. I was like, you coming out with us. Even though Michael was still on these gigs, I put Dennis on with us. And people immediately started like, whoa, this is amazing. And then I called Roger, uh, and I said, hey, Roger, I know we're booked on the cruise, and you got us booked for five. I said, but, you know, Michael's leaving my band, and we're going to announce it on your ship. And I got Dennis Grunling joining my band, and I'd like to bring him on the ship so people could see what they're going to get when Michael leaves the band. And to Roger's credit, he was like, yeah, man, go ahead, bring him on. I'll find room for him. And I, which I thought was great mm-hmm. for him to, to allow me to do that. And we did. And we split our shows for the first half of the show. I had Michael, and second half of the show we had Dennis, and some of the shows we did was both of them together. And... I had people coming up to us on the cruise, you know, after we made the announcement on the on our very last show on the cruise. You know, there were a lot of people sad to see Michael go, as, as I was, but there was way more positive response of Dennis joining the band and what Dennis added to my show and to our show. I knew right away that it was kind of a meant-to-be thing, you know. All things must pass and whatever kind of moment and here we are, and uh, I said, Dennis, when next up we got to record something. And I knew right away I was going to shop it to Bruce. And so on the cruise, I said to Kid Anderson, I said, Dude, man, I'm going to record this record with with Dennis. And man, you want to you want to help me make this record because you know what Bruce wants to hear. I said, I know what he wants to hear too. But I said, But you really know what he wants to hear, and you know what I want to hear. And I think you would be able to be the guy to help me get both so that you know, it works out. And he did. Kid Anderson was great in the studio. And mm-hmm. and I think to me that Bruce said that he loved the, the music and the songs right away. But I think a lot of it had to do with Kid's production quality. Just because that it's got to hit Bruce's ear, too. Right. But it's also your amazing you know. playing and you know the stuff. Yeah, and so it, Bruce was into it right away. I remember sending him an email when I got off the cruise ship, and I said, hey, I'm going to be recording a record with Dennis. Would you be interested in it? And I figured I'd wait weeks or days to hear from him. I, got, like, I remember getting an email that day back from him going, yes, definitely, send it to me when it's done. So I knew right away, well, he might, he must be interested then. So sent it to him, recorded it, excuse me, in June Sent it to him, and by, what was it, October, we uh, had signed on with him. So, wow. there you go. Well, congratulations. Yeah, it's been great, man. They're uh, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I remember going and meeting with his entire staff, like, the week before I actually signed the contract. He wanted me to come in and meet the whole staff. I thought I was going to meet, like, five or six people. I didn't know that there was, like, 15 or 16 people working there. Mm-hmm. And then I sat down for two hours with, with his whole staff, and each person sat around this table, introduced themselves, and told me exactly what their role was and what they did. 
And it was at that very moment, Mako, that I went, holy shit. How the hell have I made it this far in this business? Because I really don't know what I'm doing. I went home and told Kate. I'm like, do you know that we've been doing everything wrong? How the hell did we <laughs> get this far? You should Kate to explain what she does for the company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Kate did it. Kate did everything. I said, but exactly. really, how the hell did... How the hell did we get this far? Even, even, even Bruce, you know, was like telling all these people, all the, all his staff at the meeting. He says, "Yeah, you know, uh, Nick and his lovely wife Kate, they have been very impressed over the years by what they've done with their record label." And I was sitting there thinking, like, I'm a fraud. <laughs> I am a complete fraud because. I'm listening to all these people talk about the, what their specific jobs and what they do on a daily basis. I'm like, I didn't know you were supposed to do that. What? You're supposed to do that? How, wait, nobody... T- we went to it any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was really like, oh, man. No, that's why really, they're alligator, yeah. right? So, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, to make it as far as I made it and become, you know, as fairly well-known as I have over the years, I was like, wow, that was really uh, an eye-opening thing you know <laughs> i'm very glad we signed with alligator because if i would have found this out and not gotten signed i would have been demoralized so i would have had you know just can't go on we can't do this yeah but that's great so yeah um thank you so much for doing this it's oh, been man. many many years and um my I pleasure i enjoy it i like thank to you. talk <laughs> Maybe you haven't seen one of my shows lately, but I do a lot of talking <laughs> in my shows. Well, we got check out the new album. Check yeah. out Nick on tour. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Man.